0: Whoa. Where is it? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Ah. Uh. How in the world do I start from here? (laughs) Oh, it's so great to be back with you. Your spirit is contagious. I remember when I was a young boy, I was invited here to speak one time for Pastor Tom. (laughs) And uh, it was just so exotic because you're so friendly. You just feel this presence of the Lord here. And you're a great example of the fact that you do not have to take your flag down about the Word of God and the God of the Word. That is the message that you give, and it's just contagious. Thank you so much for inviting me back. And because they have a little interim plan and some surprise that I'm not supposed to know about, I will try to be brief. Uh, I am a short preacher, five seven. I've always been that way, and uh, I want to talk to you about Bible prophecy. I want to commend the pastor and the staff here for having a prophecy conference. One of the things, one of the things that makes we evangelicals different is we believe in Bible prophecy, because. Our Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled 105 prophecies, given hundreds of years in advance of his coming, and he fulfilled them all. Nobody in the history of the world has ever fulfilled more than six or eight, but Jesus fulfilled all of them. I wish we had time to talk about them. Because I want to get to Peter. Would you turn with me in your Bible to uh, 2 Peter and share with you something that is very pertinent for the day in which we live. The Apostle Peter, we all have our favorites, don't we? We have the people that touched us in the word of God particularly, and of course, no one like Jesus. He, of course, touched us more than anyone, but there are certain characters in the Bible that just speak out to us. I love Peter as a kid going to Sunday school I was saved when I was eight years old because my parents got saved when I was four years old and I kind of was a holdout for a while. uh, (laughs) But it was in that church where they held forth the word of God and taught us that individuals needed to have a personal experience. And in the last few years, I've been impressed with the fact that one of the things that makes us as evangelical Christians different and gives us a unity of the spirit One of the things is we believe in a personal acceptance of Jesus. And that's what Peter did. And now he had some weak spots. Maybe that's why I liked him. The Lord used him in spite of some of the dumb things he did. But he was a man that believed God. And he's a walking example of how God, when he touches an ordinary person's life, they can do extraordinary things. And Peter really was an unlearned fisherman, they say in the scripture. And he, I mean, I, I don't want to deprecate fishermen, it's just because I can't fish. but uh, I can water ski, but I can't fish. And, uh, but uh, it, it, Peter had some weird ideas. I mean, he, he thought he could hide the fact that he was a follower of Jesus. And you know, he betrayed him three times and he repented. But to show you that the God we know and love and serve doesn't carry a grudge. When he forgives us, he goes on and uses us because the first person that God used after Jesus rose from the dead in a magnificent way was the apostle Peter. He was the tool and for many years up until the time of his martyrdom, he served the Lord faithfully. In fact, I love the story I don't know if it's true or not, but tradition, you can think of it halfway. It sounds like him. Peter, I am told, was crucified upside down because he was sentenced to crucifixion death. And he asked to be crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but there's something about a guy like that I can trust him. And in the, just in the few months, maybe a few years before he was martyred, he wrote Second Peter. And I want you to turn with me to the third chapter. And let me call your attention to something that has always turned me on because in a prophecy conference like this, I hope you've understood the fact that we are living in the last days. The last day started from the time that Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, or actually by the time he was born. And they don't end until the millennium, and we all go on into heaven. If we have time, we'll get to all that tonight very quickly. I'm so glad to have a superior audience that you absorb all the things that I'm thinking about saying and don't have time to say. (laughs) Um, But in the third chapter... The Apostle Peter, now think of him as an elderly servant of the Lord, one of the last of the disciples, not the last, but one of the closest to the last, and he has a passion for the church. The church was his love next to the Lord, and he gave himself for service with the Lord, and he is concerned about the church, and he said, Beloved, verse 1, I now write to you this second epistle, In both of which, I stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. If you want your mind or your spiritual life to be developed, then stir up your mind by the word of God. Have you ever wondered why there's such a separation in the body of Christ of children, Christians that are really not committed to the Lord and those that are? The Bible. If The Bible fills your mind, and it can only fill your mind as you read it, meditate on it, memorize it, study it, and follow it. And he says, stir up your minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful, that your mind may be full of the words which were spoken before, I'll get it, by the holy prophets. There are 40 of them, and they wrote the Old Testament. And notice what he, how he likens his, his own profession and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He puts himself not in an egotistical way, but in a service way. He's done many years of service by this time, and he likens his ministry to that of the Old Testament prophets. And if you know who the prophets were, they were unusual men of God who heard God and let God speak to them, and they wrote the word of God that we treasure today and follow. in verse 3, knowing this first, Now, what do you think about the words of a man who has lived his whole life up and down and, of course, and then as he matured, he was a consistent follower and sacrificial servant of the Lord, knowing this first, that in the last days, scoffers will come following after their own lusts. Now, Peter is saying one thing I want you to understand first and foremost about the church of Jesus Christ. One of the signs of the last days will be, scoffers will come. And then he goes on to describe these scoffers, and I just want to remind you, you probably know as well as I do, that the church, uh, not the church, but the world is filled with scoffers. And he picks out a couple that I wanted to call your attention to, by the way. I thought I had a book I wanted to use in a minute as a prop. I don't read it right now, so you can get it for me. These scoffers will come and here's what they say. It was saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Well, I'll tell you where it is. It's in the Bible. If they just open the Bible, they'd find the promise of his coming. You know how I said the first coming? Thank you. Oh, you are a servant pastor. You are a servant pastor. God bless you. No, thanks. This is no time for writing. And the world is saying, where is the promise of his coming? It's right here in this book. 321 times in the New Testament. The Bible tells us, oh, some of them are in the Old Testament too, are promises of Jesus' second coming, his glorious appearing, we call it. And that second coming is certified fact. because How many times does God have to say something for it to be true? Just once, think about it, if they would just open their eyes to the word of God. But you see, the secular world in which we live has closed its eyes to the word of God. They don't want anything from God. They, They talk about the mystical things, and they want something, some revelation from somewhere. And they're going out into outer space, and they're using up billions of dollars in NASA's money, trying to find some voice out there in the universe hoping that somebody will be communicating, and they're still spending our money and not finding anything, and they won't find it. Well, I've heard that there, there's a little trickle of water stains on some rock somewhere in the moon, or Saturn, or who cares. where. That's going <laughs> to compare that to the uniqueness. I don't have time to get into this or the scientific qualifications, but I've read enough about it to, to know that the uniqueness of the atmosphere of the, of the world, the planet on which we live, is because we are in exactly the right position between the sun and the reflector of the sun, the moon. And somehow in the providence of God who created all things, it's ideal for us to, to live. We don't have to wear a space suit. We don't have to have an oxygen mask unless something's gone wrong. It, it, you You know the drill. We just take it for granted. And man is trying his best. That is man without God is trying his best. In fact, I was so disturbed about this, I said to a friend who worked for NASA for some time, I said, uh, have you seen any discrimination against Christians among the scientists who are out there using our tax dollars to find some evidence of life beyond life on the world that, that they can use to prove that there is no God? And he said, no, not really, except that they have wonderful conference rooms, and we Christians, when we want to meet together and have a weekly prayer meeting, we have to meet in the stairwells of the high-rise buildings. That's where our money is being used. You see, we live in a society that has been moved in the last over 100 years into a secular society until they don't believe in God or anything that has to do with God. And I'll show you that in a moment. And Peter forecast that. They would say, He said they will question whether uh, God will come again. Where is the promise of his coming? And here's one of the, the big lie. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, folks, that is a lie all things have not continued. You know what happened how they got this? Because they're willfully refusing to see what God has done and I'll show you one And Peter outlines it right here in our text. It's really a beautiful story because they are walking willfully after their own lust. They're, they now we think of the the lust, that's a byproduct of the willfulness. They will not obey God. They're going to have their own way, not only, they think, uh, on the way they live their life down here on this earth and the way they prepare for eternity. And the truth is, they don't believe in eternity. They don't, you know what they believe in? They believe that when you're dead, you're dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't get too whomped up about that. I'm, I read what the Bible tells us, and we'll come to that in a moment if we have time. And I better hurry so that we do have time. He said there, verse 5, For this they willfully forget, that the word of God, verse 5, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved For the same word, or by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. 2,000 years ago, or almost that, Peter laid it out. Their problem was they don't like judgment. You see, if you believe in God, then you believe that there is a day of accounting coming. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And I don't, I don't blame man for not wanting to go to judgment. I, I would sure hate to go to be the judge of the universe who's the holy God that knows the end from the beginning without Jesus Christ. And the good news is we don't have to. We'll come to that in the question and answer session if you stick around enough for the cu- cupcakes that they've got for you. Anyway. <laughs> I kind of to Now, the big lie... By the way, isn't it interesting how academia has a choice to make when it comes to philosophy? They can build their philosophy on the Word of God, which they've rejected, which has not always been the case in America. As a matter of fact, the reason we had the best educational system in the history of the world was because the Bible was the bedrock foundation upon which education was built. We started our education with, in the beginning, God created, the heavens and the earth. Then along come the scientists who believe that all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. You know where that came from? The atheists in the 16th and 17th century, that by the time of the 19th century, uh, Charles Lyell came along with uniformitarianism. That is, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. That's not true. I remember standing on the edge with my family in the, the Grand Canyon. And the guide, very pleasant young man, probably as a sophomore at, at some college working in the summertime, and he's explaining to us that the way we s- study the earth is by watching the micromatic or microspector, whatever you call it, the, the <laughs> erosion, because you could see the water down below, And you see the long miles of uh, chasm that they were flowing, and he said, "We measure this back, and we get millions of years." Well, by the way, I'm a little suspect when it comes to some of the pronouncements of science, because they've lied to us so many times. When they started out, they used to talk about the Earth was at least a million years old, and then it was two million, then it's four million, and then it's eight million, and Now it's just innumerable millions, why? Every time they find something that they think has evolved, if we just give it a few more millions of years, they have no scientific evidence for that. You see, science is something that you can prove, you can observe, and you come away expecting to see a solid educational experience from it, but you can't judge evolution, you can't see it, it's never been proven. And yet it's called scientific education. That's why I call it the big lie. And I got a confession to make. I guess I was predisposed to that. Show you the influence uh, the church of Jesus Christ can have on a kid. When I was in the eighth grade, I did go to school. (laughs) We had a, a teacher, a science teacher. And he was the only teacher I had in high school that had a master's degree. Now I grew up in Michigan, and he had gone to the University of Michigan, and he got a master's degree in science. It's the only teacher that had a master's degree that I knew. And by the way, his name was Mr. Babble. Not <laughs> a very fitting. And being an obnoxious kid, I raised my hand, and when he was talking about these, observable life transforming forms of life and so on, and uh, how that that there was a missing link. And I said to him, well, sir, uh, the missing link is still missing. It's been missing ever since I can remember studying about it, which wasn't very long at that time. But uh, he said, well, I'll show you. If you turn to page so-and-so in our science textbook, and believe it or not, I saw four missing links. I saw the Neanderthal man and Epithecansus Erectus and the, well, there are two others. I can't their name, they're so important. <laughs> and later, when we started the Institute for Creation Research in San Diego, that now is being superseded by the Genesis uh, flood in uh, the book that I hold in my hand uh, is a gift from Dr. Henry Morris and his colleague, Dr. John Whitcomb. And at the bottom of this book, it says, by John MacArthur, one of the most important books of the past century. You know what it is? It is the Genesis Flood. Because the Genesis Flood changed everything. The world change remarkably when the Bible describes, in fact, if they would just read the Bible and follow their scientific guess, they'd be much more advanced than if they ignore the things of the Word of God. Because everything that you can explain about the change in the world can be attributed to the worldwide flood. And by the way, there are many reasons for believing in the worldwide flood. One is that the Bible, the whole outline is based on it. Well, Charles Lydell started it off and then just a few, he started off about 1833. And then uh, Charles Darwin came along and he suggested evolution. And the reason the academic world without God gravitates to that is because it explains the inexplicable without God. But it's all, all a fantasy and this flood changes everything. That's why they do everything they can to dissuade people to believe in a worldwide flood. But Peter makes it very clear. He believed in a worldwide flood. By the way, he was under inspiration of the Spirit of God. He said, Beloved, do not forget one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. It's important we understand what that passage is for. Now, some people like to att- cause that to be have that there are 6,000 years of human history because of this, but really in the context, what he's talking about is God is infinite, and when it comes to time, 1,000 years is just a day, or 2,000 years are just two days. And remember, it was less than 2,000 years ago that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare this place for you, and here's his promise, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now, if someone you love says to you, Now, in a thousand years, I'm going to be back and see you. Or if he says, In one day, I'll be back. Which one are you going to believe? It's easy to believe when you understand how God keeps time. He said just two days ago, according to divine calibration of time, that he'd be back. Count on this. He will be back. Now, that sets us up for one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I've got about 50 of those, but... uh, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The God we serve, the God we love, the God we know in the Bible is a loving God. Changed my attitude even after being in the ministry and wanting to serve Jesus. I almost drove my wife away when we met in a Christian college and and we got to discussing theology. I don't know why, we were just kids in our freshman year. I had finished two years in the Air Force and I wasn't really very spiritual, but I knew God had called me to preach and I was there for, for a short time. And uh, we talked about things, and we talked about heaven. And I said, you know, I'm not too warmed up about going to heaven. You know, I, I'm not—I'm musically dead. I can't—I you know, have a baritone voice, a baritone you ever heard, and <laughs> so sitting around, flying around on a fly, on a cloud, strumming a, a harp was not my idea of heaven. But you know. I knew about the Bible and I knew that the alternative was hell and I did not want to go there. So I, she went back to her room, believe it or not, and she told her roommates, that's the last time I'll ever go out with Tim LaHaye. <laughs> and 60, 67 years later, she's glad she changed her mind. <laughs> and so am I. <clears throat> but notice what, but since said. I've studied the Bible and I have found that God introduces himself. And he said to Moses to tell the people, to tell the apostles, and tell us that I am a loving God. I am slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. And he defines himself as a God of love. And may I ask you something? Can you love? a God like that. I sure can. I can, I revel at the fact that we have to come not with clean hands. We come now with blood on our hands, with sins on our hands, and we can come confidently because God so loved the world, he gave his son, that we might have what? Everlasting life. Isn't that a marvelous gift? And Peter says, it is ours for their taking. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and verse 10, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, whenever you, I've, I'm sure your pastors taught you this, but it, most of us learned this many years ago. Whenever you find the word therefore in the Bible, stop and see what it's there for. Makes good sense. Since all these things will be dissolved. This whole world is just going to be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conduct and godliness? God has called us to holiness and godly conduct. Looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So the principle of Jesus is, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where rust and moth and corruption can't take it away, where it will be forever, forever. In verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And we look for a time when we will be taken into heaven by God's dear son, Jesus. He said, I will come again and take you unto myself. But notice, I have found three different kinds of will in this passage of scripture. One is the will of God. It's not God's will that anyone perish. None of us here, none of us in the world. You say, well, what about those who reject him? Well, that, that's their will, not his. And that's what he talks about. These people are willing, they close their eyes, they refuse to see until they come down near the end. And I could give you the names of notorious skeptics and atheists that at the death of their, near death in their lives They called on the name of the Lord. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if when we get to heaven, we see someone that we knew was an atheist and we thought they went to hell. And our natural inclination would be, wow, I'm surprised to see you here. Well, not if you know the mercy of God. Because the last time you talked to that person, they may have been bubbling over and bubbling over. In fact, with atheism and and epitaphs against God and the Bible and Christianity and so on. In fact, just recently, one of the men that was an atheist, and I I have a heart heart for them. I want to reach them, and I tried my best to find an address that he would read, and I couldn't get it. In fact, he had a debate with a fine Christian, a professor in a Christian college for 4000 people and when the pastor when, when the the college professor finished his last presentation he presented the God he used the last 10 minutes to present the gospel of God and the love of God and why God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son and when he sat down the atheist known all over the world one time he was considered one of the top 3 or 4 atheists in the world he got up and he said, <clears throat> I want to commend my, my opponent for his presentation and say in the mood of the audience, of course, most of them were Christians. It was a Christian college. And he said, I, I just do not, I do not intend to give my, my rebuttal. And he went back and sat down. And he, before he died, he received all kinds of hateful letters from some of those who, uh, were on his team for not answering, but he just didn't feel, and as I, I read that and I've tried to reach him and then the, he died before I even found his address, but I wanted to engage him in some kind of communication. Well, you know, I got the idea for that from my, hen, my friend Henry Morris, the great scholar, geologist, Ph.D., and in fact, he was the head of the uh, eighth largest engineering school in America when he turned his back on, on all kinds of tenure and security in education to come and help me start San Diego Christian College when we started with 11 students. And he served the Lord for 35 years before the Lord took him to heaven. And I guarantee you one thing when we meet Henry and I embrace him as a brother in the Lord, he will have no regrets. He will have thousands of young people because in addition to this book, uh, the 50th anniversary celebration, he ra- later wrote another book. that was prompted by an article in uh, the Wall Street Journal that in view of the fact that this book came out in 1961, it was changing the climate of atheism in the secular world. You see, they still use it, those that are hard hitting atheists, but there are many people who recognize there has to be some answer to the intricacies of this world. About a year ago, I had a, a blood situation because of some medication that I'm no longer taking, thank God. But anyway, I woke up in the morning and I had a handful of blood coming out of my nose, and I had Was rushed to the hospital, and and uh, after four pints, uh, four bags of uh, uh, blood plos- plasma to keep me alive, it finally got stopped in the providence of God, and obviously, I live. If you call this living, <laughs> I do, <laughs> but then I, I'm kind of prejudiced. But in the in the grace of God, I learned something that you know when you're uh, i had a christian doctor working on me and and uh, he mentioned as there's there are five of them sitting around talking around my bed and one of them said uh, you know his his organs are shutting down because of loss of blood and uh so after i got the plasma and i got started on the up track i said to him well now just how serious is that when your blood i said will I be able to think right, and will I be able to function right? And he said, well, it's interesting that uh, God has so devised our human body that when you are in disaster and your organs start to shut down, then there are three exceptions. The last ones to get your blood under emergency is your heart and your eyes, in your brain. And I, I looked at him and he smiled and he said, Isn't evolution wonderful? <laughs> you get the point, don't you? Our God is a loving God. And the God we love, it's not his will that any should perish. And so the three kinds of will that we have in this room are those who said, Yes, Lord Jesus, I will have you to be my Lord and Savior. The evidence that you are the Son of God, the only Son of God, is so obvious I am compelled to recognize I should call upon you as the Lord and Savior. Because Jesus said this, only through him can we have eternal life. we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved. Of no one else can that ever be said. There's no religion in the world that can offer eternal life except Jesus. I am the way he said the truth and the life. I am the way to God. I am the truth about God and I am the life that he alone gives that eternal life and it's ours. But it's up to us. God, in his marvelous grace, has given us the responsibility and the opportunity of saying, oh, yes. And I'm I'm sure in this great church and in this prophecy conference, I'm speaking to the choir. But the truth is, some of you may have been dragged in here by someone who loves you, and you realize that God is not someone to be feared. God is someone... To be loved. And if you really understand God, you can love him. And you can call upon him as your Lord and Savior. Or will you be like the other kind that are willful and say, I will not. But in the last days, scoffers will come, Peter said. Will Tim and your pastor and others in this room say, We are in the last days because scoffers have come. They have come and said, none of these things are true, and they lied. But you see what we have for us, and I want to close with this. He says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to those things, verse 14, be diligent and be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother. Brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking to them in these things in which are some things hard to understand. Have you ever found some of the things in Paul's writings hard to understand? Well, so did Peter. Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. What's he talking about? The Old Testament scriptures? And the others were being written in his time. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. How much better to use your will priceless gift from God in his direction in saying I understand you love me. As a matter of fact, if you don't know much about the Old Testament but you understand John 3, 16, you can understand who but God could love so much that he would give his only begotten son. Last Sunday, we all celebrated the greatest day in history the day that changed the world even more than the flood when God's son was raised from the dead God himself according to Romans 1 4 reached down and raised his son from the dead you know what that means that the holy God who will be our judge in the universe saw what his son did and he reached down and raised him from the dead meaning It was perfect. His sacrifice had to be perfect. Uh, uh, The sacrifice in the Old Testament had to be a a lamb without spot or blemish or anything wrong. His blood sacrifice. How do we know that the blood of Jesus was not tainted by Joseph or not tainted by sin in Jesus' life? God raised him from the dead. May I just remind you the price that it was? I believe the crucifixion had to be the most awful means of execution in the history of the world. As a matter of fact, just a few years later, it was so awful even the barbaric Romans discontinued using it. And yet Jesus went through it all. And with all due respects to the physical suffering, that was not the worst thing. I read it and I just shudder when I think of it. Here God turned his back on his son, because he who knew no sin became our sin. All the sins of all of us here and all the people in the world. And God, in his marvelous love, in anticipation of forgiveness, brought on all the sins of the world. And in that moment, whose heart cannot be moved by the pathetic cry of Jesus on the cross? Oh my God. Why have you forsaken me? Because of our sin. And for the first time in the universe, God the Father and God the Son were separated in unity. I don't understand it. I just have a finite mind, but I know that for that, those hours, in fact, it probably carried on for three days. But you remember the sequel Last Sunday, we celebrated it. After 2,000 years, we're still celebrating the greatest event that Almighty God saw that it was a perfect sacrifice, and he raised him from the dead. Praise be unto God. I said at the beginning that one of the things that makes us as evangelical Christians unique is the fact that we believe you have an o- obligation to make your decision yourself. And as I said, I suppose most of you, if not all of you, have made the decision. But I made a commitment a few years ago to God that I would never close a service without giving folks an opportunity to make that. Someone may just have been dragged in here, or you may just be here, who knows why you're here, but you're here and you're confronted with the greatest opportunity ever given to human beings, eternal life, you can have salvation, forgiveness. Those things that bug you and you think, oh, if I had never done those, those things would be forgotten, They cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If you will say, yes, Lord Jesus, I give myself to you. Come into my heart. That's what he wants. Let's bow together for prayer. With our heads bowed, look into your heart and ask you, have I really had such an experience? Lord Jesus, you died on that cross for me. Thank you so much. Thank you for that separation from your father, necessitated by our sins, the sins of the whole world, but also my sins. Thank you. And Lord Jesus, I believe you were raised from the dead that we might have everlasting life. And today, if I've never done this before, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. I turn not only my past, my sin. I turn myself and my future over to you. For The Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved.